Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Bala Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Jimmy Hickey. Jimmy is the founder of Findlay Hats, a company that makes and sells creative and really useful hats. Yeah, this is a great story, Bela. An innovative guy with a ton of energy uh, added a cool twist to really what a commodity product, hats, baseball hats. Uh, and then what he did was not just invent a hat, but he was really a, an amazingly shrewd marketer and uh, built an avidly loyal community around these hats. Yeah, I think there's there's two key points that we should listen our listeners should listen to uh, in this episode. Number one is that. Yes, there are opportunities in commodities. Baseball caps are a commodity. And yeah, you might have one for the Yankees or the Red Sox or your favorite team. Uh, but fundamentally, uh, after, after the logo, they're, they're sort of commodities. And he put a few couple of innovations into the baseball cap and now has a very unique product that is fundamentally in a, in a very crowded market. However, as you say, I think the most important thing he did was this notion of building a community of users and supporters. And he's really, really very good at that, in building this community. Uh, and then that community has energy and people want to be part of it. And all of a sudden, these things become uh, important to members who identify within that community. And, and all of a sudden, they start buying lots of hats. So I think it's a great example of that. And uh, I think Jimmy did a really, really good job on, on that, those two aspects of it. Yeah, and it's it served him in two markets. So listen for this, because I think this is an interesting point. He's figured out a way to make this work in the B2C, the business to consumer market, but he's also grown a really healthy B2B business to business market. And it all stems from this user base. So I think it's really cool. And and you know, also the other thing that people should look out for is this is not just an online business and it's not just online uh, customer outreach. He does a lot of face-to-face -face, and it's a core tenant of his business. And that's something that everybody should remember that don't just rely on the internet, that really this idea of personal communication is huge rather than just a Instagram post or a Facebook post. So I don't know. What do you think? Should we get to it? Yeah, let's go, Mike. All right. Let's uh, jump into the interview with uh, Jimmy Hickey, founder of Findlay Hats. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? Excellent. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for doing this. So I uh, really appreciate it. And um, it's always nice to have uh, exciting guests like yourself. I was looking at your website and the things that you guys have done and, and your products, and uh, it looks really cool. Yeah, thank you kindly. We're giving it our, uh, our best out here. Yeah. So can you uh, uh, take a second and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what you do? Yeah, so my name is Jimmy Hickey, and I run a hat company called Findlay Hats. We make hats that are built for good times. Excellent, excellent. So how long have you been doing this, Jim? Uh, just about, I guess, seven years now. The company's been around like six and a half, but we started uh, around seven years ago. Okay. And uh, what was, when you say hats, so tell me what that means. You know, I think of all sorts of hats. <laughs> oh yeah, there's plenty of plenty of good hats out there on the planet. Ours are just a little different. Uh, so we we run with mostly uh, your standard like baseball style hat, uh, be it a bent bill or a flat bill hat. Uh, but wait, what makes our hat stand out is we have a patented stampede lace across the front of the hat. 
so this lace you can tie in different styles you can use different colors but most importantly that lace is designed to be brought down around your chin to keep your head on your head through good times so next time you're out there on the boat jumping out of helicopters uh whatever the uh activity may be you don't have to worry about your hat blow, uh, blowing away in the wind uh, we also have a hidden stash pocket inside all of our hats which is great for like some spare cash uh business cards um and then also we have a lifetime warranty in all of our hats because we want people to get out there, have good times, wearing our stuff without worrying about it getting damaged or broken. Uh, so if anything happens to the hat, we'll fix it or replace it for free. Oh, wow. So it sounds yeah. like you've uh, taken the baseball cap, uh, the generic baseball cap, and sort of uh, moved it up a couple notches here. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the very early uh, kind of catchphrase uh, came to me in a dream. I'm not even joking. This, uh, like, it was like a... Uh, right before going to sleep, you know, that little moment of clarity. Um, I mean, the uh, the the phrase was uh, elevating headwear one hat at a time. And uh, so, yeah, we basically took a standard hat and just made it just a little bit different, a little bit better, a um, little more features. And then product side alone, we also uh, – yeah, anything good on your end? Yep, we're good. Yep, I, yeah, okay, it cool, dropped there. out for a second there, but, uh, yeah, we're we're good. Awesome. So other than the product, we also do a lot of the modifications in-house right here in Portland, Oregon. So we do all of the embroidery. We do the laser cut leather patches. We stitch those in-house. We add our grommets. We add we uh, sublimate or screen print our pockets. We surge them. We install them. Uh, you know, we cut, tie, and style the laces. So it's a labor of love. We do a lot of production right here in Portland. And uh, that's another little piece that stands out from our company and that a lot of other major hat companies, they order their hats from their manufacturer overseas. They show up in a bag and they ship to the customer in that same bag, uh, never really touched by anyone that actually is involved directly with the company. Uh, so we have a, a pretty big production facility here and we do a lot of the production in-house and we're really proud of what we do there as well. Oh, wow. Wow. That sounds really cool. So uh, what did you call that strap that goes around your chin? There was a name for that. Yeah, the Stampede Lace. Although if you're up on the mountain, you can call it the avalanche lace, maybe out in the water, the tsunami lace. Uh, but we, we generally run with the uh, uh, stampede lace. Okay. But is that like leftover from the Cowboys? Exactly. We didn't uh, – definitely we didn't realize that it actually had a name you know, from the Cowboy era or from just uh, Western culture in general until uh, someone kind of at a trade show let us know. And we're like, oh, well, that's just a perfect name for it already. So we ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I often think about one of the uh, challenges. I'm, I'm a sailor, so sometimes I'm out on windy days and mm -hmm. uh, the trouble with a baseball cap is it always blows off. And, uh, you know, so I have a I have another type of hat that I wear that has a chin, uh, a stampede strap on it, a, a chin strap on it. Uh, so the wind doesn't take it away. So now that uh, you have invented this uh baseball cap which are, are you know much more comfortable to wear a lot more stylish than this other hat that i wear with uh with the stampede strap uh, that sounds really cool yeah absolutely the uh we're definitely happy that uh they exist out there and it's, it's super interesting because like you said as a sailor there's you know some very practical uses and uh you know some real world situations where you'll want you know to keep your hat on your head but what's super interesting is we have uh built a pretty cool community of of customers that are are um you know that aren't buying it just for the function alone and uh it's kind of cool to see it come full circle that it has the function but we have people who just use it as an accessory or just use it as a conversation piece or like to tie it in different styles so it has a couple different selling points through the whole thing which is uh definitely you know helped us uh stay around as long as we have yeah yeah 
I imagine it's it's an extremely competitive uh, marketplace, right? Selling selling hats. Uh, I mean, the thing is, there are so many other. Uh, you know, almost every company has a hat. Um, but talk about competitive. It's also they're all possible customers because our hat is simply better. So a piece of our our business, about twenty percent, is actually making headwear for other companies. Um, so we collaborate with with brands um, that are big and small. We work with like your local pizza shop to a coffee shop to you know some pretty like large uh, recognizable names. Like we've worked with ESPN and the X Games. Um, you know we've worked with a handful of of pretty large manufacturers. Like we've made hats for Toyota. Uh, so uh, while the headwear space is competitive, we're not just trying to compete in headwear. We're also trying to provide. Uh, headwear you know it's like um, especially what's really cool with some of these smaller companies that we've worked with we have so many collectors of our hats that will collaborate with a, a coffee shop for example they only order 24 hats and our collectors will will buy out their hats in like a, a week or two and they'll, they'll want to order more um, so it's kind of cool that we're able to provide our um, you know our our product as an upgrade to their existing product, their existing hats. I mean, side by side, if you put our hat next to a generic hat, if they're about the same price, which they are, uh, ours has more selling points and usually will sell head-to-head against its competitor. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, they're able to just, you know, there's there's multiple benefits yeah. on there where, where it's competition, but also their customers. Yeah, for us. yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it's really marvelous. And there's been a lot of great examples, you know, over history of, of individuals who have taken what is sort of like a generic item, a baseball cap, done some uh, creative, clever things to it, like you have, uh, and, and then turned it into a, a sort of a, a, a differentiated product um, that is, you know, really sought out by, like you said, collectors and customers, et cetera, and, and have done that both from a functional standpoint and from a style standpoint. So uh, that's really a great accomplishment. Thank you. It's been uh, more or less my life's work for the last seven years. So yeah. You know. <laughs> so let's go. Let's go back a little bit in time. Let's go back to uh, uh, Jimmy when he he was a young lad. Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Longview, Washington, uh, or Washington. You can call it whatever you want. Um, yeah, that that's Southwest Washington, about an hour north of Portland, Oregon, where I live now, and where the company's based out of, and two hours south of Seattle and about an hour uh, east of the coast. Okay, okay. And uh, is there entrepreneurship in your family? Uh, no, um, not at all. My dad's in the medical field, and my mom is an interior designer. Uh, granted, she did kind of work independently as a... Uh, um, she worked independently, but she definitely you know, wasn't running a, a full-fledged business or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, did you go to uh, university, Jimmy? Uh, yeah, I went to one year of uh, commercial photography school in Seattle. Oh, very nice. So yeah, ha- and, uh, have you always had sort of a creative, uh, a creative uh, uh, side to yourself? Yeah. The, uh, if, you know, coming from a photography background since I was in uh, really uh, probably like middle school is when I first picked up a camera recreationally, like, you know, with my group of friends that I, I would always – if I had a little like point and shoot, I'd be the one trying to take pictures. And I did find a creative outlet through that, but I really didn't find photography until high school um, where my dad got a Sony DSLR. This is 2006. I want to say this is right when DSLR cameras uh, became like, okay, digital quality stuff, but they weren't, they weren't, you know, competitively priced. They were pretty expensive at the time. Yeah. And uh, so my dad got a, a DSLR for, for, uh, Christmas for my grandparents and he let me play around with it. And that's kind of where my, 
my photo uh, love kind of grew from there. And then from, you know, taking photos of everything, I slowly grew a photo business and uh, kind of, you know, went all over the place from there. Yeah. So you, you, you started a, a fo- photography business? Yeah, I started when I was a sophomore in high school. I was doing senior portraits uh, for students. I'd be taking sports photos uh, of like the local high school or my high school's uh, sporting events. Um, I come from a tournament paintball background, if you can believe that. It's like a, it's a very interesting subculture, but I played competitive paintball uh, for years. And uh, I actually took, did a lot of uh, photo-, photo work in that industry as well. Um, so I, I would charge teams to take photos of them. And uh, so that was another little outlet. But I mean, I was making okay to pretty good money at the time. I got published in a couple magazines. And, uh, you know, t- still to this day, I love photography and I, I do the majority of our photo content work uh, for Findlay. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I was building my photo business when I, while I was in high school and uh, able to take full advantage of being a young photographer in a time where I was just a little bit ahead of the curve before Instagram, before people were really picking up photography. And, and there was, it was so saturated with, with hobbyists and advanced amateurs and, and people that were trying to make a living with it uh, and made it a lot more difficult for the established pros too. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, what came after your photography business? Sort of what happened to that and, and what, what, what's, what followed it? Nice. So I'll, I'll do a quick, quick rundown. Basically, I went to, went to photo school for a year and dropped out because I was having a tough time balancing my professional photo career and schoolwork. And I came to the conclusion the same day my professors came to the conclusion uh, independently that they called me in for a meeting. They're like, hey, we think you should take the next year off and pursue your career because you're not able to give school 100%, but we, you know, we want you to see where that goes. And like, legitimately, the day before, I came to that same conclusion that I should try to take the next year off. So I kind of took that as an omen and ran with it. Uh, this is 2010, um, and I yeah, pushed as hard as I could as a photographer. I did a lot of senior portraits. Those were my bread and butter. Um, I did a handful of commercial work. I got to shoot uh, a lot of uh, professional sports like uh, NFL. I never got to shoot MLB, which was too bad because I was really looking forward to shoot the Mariners. Um, so I, I shot a handful of different sports, didn't make much money there, did a handful of commercial jobs uh, with really the most noteworthy client I ever worked with was uh, Nike running, Nike football, and soccer. And uh, it, it was uh, something that really fueled me creatively and something that I really enjoyed. But like I kind of hinted at earlier, the photography market got super, super saturated with, you know, it, it, the, the barrier of entry was, was not there anymore where you can buy a $300, you know, couple-year-old Canon that is, top of the line now, uh, good quality stuff that will get you through most of the 99% of what you need to shoot. Yeah. Well, um, and, and everyone so has became, a, everyone has a camera in their hand today. Everybody. Exactly. And even, exactly. even as yeah. they say, you know, a, a, a blind chicken gets a kernel of corn every once in a while, every once in a while, everyone can take a great picture. It just sort of happens. Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm all for, you know, that I love people taking more photos. The world isn't oversaturated with good photos the world could always use a good way to capture things and and i i for sure have no problem with you know every single camera or every single phone in the world having a great camera on it i think it's awesome and we're, we're getting a lot of you know good creative benefit from it uh in a handful of ways from it so uh, no problem with that but as an individual it was just tough to make a living uh senior portraits were super saturated commercial work was extremely tough to come by uh the only client i ever had that actually paid what i was taught to charge in photo school was nike and uh, i love them for that i'll be loyal to them to the day i die 
because um, they were the only people that actually paid what we were taught to charge for commercial photography work. Um, and now it's on the other end of it as a you know business. I, I understand that it's expensive to to pay those rates for a you know day rate for a, a commercial photo shoot. Um, either way, so super saturated, and I just wanted to work on something else. And I had a few other ideas. Um, I've worked closely with a clothing company for years, and I saw the way my buddy ran it, and uh, you know always thought that I could do something similar. The the hat idea for the stampede laces I actually had uh, I invented that when I was in middle school um, like before I could even drive uh, we were rafting down the mighty uh, Toodle River uh, long story short I lost my favorite hat it's tragic I had to spend the rest of my day without a hat on my head I got sunburnt I had a really embarrassing like halo haircut and uh, I just didn't want to lose not have a hat again so the next time I went rafting I cut my shoelaces off tied uh, put a hole in my hat and tied the lace around my chin. And I called it my water hat. And I wore that every time I went rafting, every time I went out on my friend's boat, uh, just all the time. And people would always ask me, man, that hat's so cool. Where'd you get it? And I told them I made it myself. And they're like, well, if you make more, I'll buy one. Um, so I had that idea in the back of my head for years. And then uh, finally, when it came time to, okay, maybe I should try to find something to stay busy through the off season. Um, I had that idea and about three or four other ideas. And um, this is actually some a good takeaway for anyone that is on the fence about uh, what to do if they're stuck between a couple ideas. Uh, this worked extremely well for me, and I learned it in a, a business class. Like a, it was like a two-month business course I took. Um, but basically, you, you lay out the, your ideas on, the, on like a grid, and then you basically rank them in, uh, on a one-to-five scale. Which one do you enjoy the most? Which one are you best at? And which one has the potential for the most growth? And then if there's any other metrics you want, you can kind of add that to the end. Uh, but you just, you know, rank each one of those uh, according to where you think it ranks out of five. And then whichever one has the most points at the end might be the idea that has the, the most legs. And when I did that, uh, the hat idea won and uh, decided to move forward with it from there. Oh, cool. So uh, how do you go about starting a, a hat business? Google. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know anything, man. I, 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 it, it, it was a lot of research, a lot of time, energy, a lot of trips to Michael's craft store. Um, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Sarah, who's our co-founder and still works here to this day, um, as our head seamstress, she was super helpful in the beginning too, because she's way craftier and just better at that type of stuff than me too. So, um, you know, she figured out like our, our, our pocket situation and how to, get those in motion. Um, so really there, there's no playbook on, you know, on how to do, how to run a business, let alone how to run a, a hat business. Uh, so it just took a lot of research, a lot of, um, a lot of podcasts, a lot of, um, yeah, <laughs> just a lot of moving parts. I yeah. Like I can't hit a lot of research to get there cause there's no set playbook on it. So w- one of the things that I always find interesting is, you know, people who, who design things, whether they be, you know, clothing or some fancy electronics, at some point in time, you got to say, okay, this is it. I'm done making it better. I'm going to start selling it. How did you come up? How did you make that decision? Yeah, that you make such a good point there. I, I, I couldn't agree more that that is an important thing for, for anyone in a you know, in a position that has a, a power move they want to make to do. Uh, for me, it, it, it wasn't too crazy of a ascendant moment. Uh, coming from a photography background, a huge part of being a photographer is trusting your, uh, your creative eye and vision and knowing that your client hired you to, to capture them, to capture this event, to whatever. 
um, and they trust your direction and you need to trust your direction. Um, so with that in mind, I come, I was coming from years of trusting my photo gut, trusting my creative vision, trusting that I have an eye for something that people like and that I need to just put it out there in the world and, and, you know, accept that it's, you know, it's going to work out. And uh, that's scary for sure. Anyone that is in the creative field can, can attest to that, that, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely intense putting something out there to the world and not knowing how it's going to be, you know, responded to. Um, as far as the actual validation for the product, not just my own creative limitations or, or worrying or doubts that people wouldn't accept it, um, I posted a photo on Instagram of the hat that said, um, uh, basically, like, hey, I'm looking at building this hat. If I made one, would you guys, would you be interested in one? And in like 10 minutes, I had like 30 comments that all said like, yeah, that looks cool. I'd buy one. Um, and I, I screenshotted that. Actually, I just found it a couple, like a week, last week, um, the original post. And then I deleted it right after that and decided, okay, this is enough momentum to move forward. Um, but, but to summarize, I think it's important to, you just have to do it. You can, you can sit around and wait for the perfect time to, for it, it to come around and it never will. It, you'll never have all your everything lined up perfectly. You can't let perfection be the en enemy of good, or great, or great be the enemy of good. I don't know. You, you, it's never, it's never going to be a perfectly polished thing. You just got to get it out there. You can adjust it as you go. Um, you know, it, the important thing is just to do it, just to get it out there into the world. And yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said, Jimmy. Uh, so your first hat, the the one that uh, you you made, your first production run. How how big was your first uh, quote unquote production run? Uh, so at the time, you know, we didn't have any embroidery machines. We didn't have any production in house other than adding the grommet and the pocket and the laces. Uh, so we took it to a local, uh, jacket maker. They make, uh, letterman jackets and we had about 80 hats and I think it was probably six or seven styles maybe. And we took them in and they embroidered them for us and we, we modified them and got them ready to go. Uh, so yeah, I'd say about 80 hats and the original investment was, I want to say around $1,400 to start everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, where did you sell those hats? How, what was your channel? What was your outlet? Um, so we did our first opening, uh, just as, at a, like my friend's retail store, uh, to launch the brand. But then after that, it was pretty much entirely online, um, through our website, finleyhats.com. At the time, we were using Squarespace, and what's funny is the night before we launched, I stayed up all night working really hard to get it, you know, perfected and ready to go. And about 7 a.m., it's like, all right, we're time to launch it. I'm going to launch the website. I'm, I'm going to go to bed. I've been up all night. Like, I'll wake up and we'll see how things are going. And that was a, a rookie move because uh, when I launched the website, I forgot to turn on our payment processor. <laughs> so we had people that were trying to buy and they, were, they weren't able to buy uh, for, you know, a couple hours until I woke up and realized that I made a mistake and it all went smooth. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting way to, to start the ordeal. But yeah, mostly through our website at the time, at the beginning. And, and how did you how did you sort of uh, promote your brand and how, in the early days? You know, because one of the things is, right, if you search for hats on if you Google hats, <laughs> you'll get a lot of hats out there. So how do you how do you drive business to the website? How does how did you develop your brand? So early on, it was very heavily word of mouth. You know, we did not have the budget to uh, pay people to, you know, do things for us. We didn't have the budget to advertise. We we didn't have friends in high places that could get us featured. We didn't have, uh, 
very many industry connections or big names to attach ourselves to. Uh, through my photo business, I had a, had a pretty good network of uh, like regional heroes and, and people with, with names in their cities. And uh, we started sending hats to those strategic people, especially in the Northwest. And kind of through them, we were able to spread, we were able to generate content, we were, we were able to slowly get our name out there. And the focus really early on was we wanted to be the hometown hero. We wanted to be, you know, the this small brand from an area that had a really core following, but we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves to just be located in one area. So it was important that while we were seeing growth in a few key cities in the Northwest, we didn't want to get just stuck as like that Northwest brand. We really wanted to spread our wings and fly across the country and the world. Um, so we would, you know, try to get people in different areas. We'd send free hats to someone with maybe a couple thousand followers, um, you know, in exchange for a shout out or photos of them wearing it. Uh, Early on, that was that we did a lot of uh, contests, like once a week we would do a contest. We still do that to this day. Um, but really, the, the most cost-effective thing, uh, something that we still do to this day and something that you can't really scale is we have as many one-on-one -on -one direct human interactions with our, our community as we can. Uh, so we have myself and two other people who uh, throughout the day, we have someone whose full-time job is other than customer service is dedicated to this, where we just talk to our, our customers, we talk to our community, we go to their social media pages, we ask questions, we comment, we, you know, just, we, we don't even talk about our hats. If someone posts a picture of them fishing, we say, oh man, that place looks awesome, I've been wanting to go there, or, you know, just, we, we start a dialogue, we start a conversation and try to, you know, be a, like a real, real person on the other end, not just a faceless corporation. And by doing that, we've established a lot of strong relationships with these people who are, you know, like we, we say, we're your friends at Finley Hats and we got your back. And we, we try to illustrate that through all of our one-on-one -on -one direct communication with our uh, community and that is something that we've seen over the years just be you know really helpful with building that strong community building a, a loyal customer base and uh, this has been been good so early on that was that was huge and to this day it's still huge the only thing that's really changed is our advertising budget um, you know we spend more in a day now than we spent probably in our entire first two years in advertising um, so that's one one thing that's that's changed for sure is, is strategic social media advertising. Yeah, yeah. Well, your point about building a community, uh, I, I think, is a really excellent one. And you know, lots of times entrepreneurs feel that well, my product's so good, I don't need to focus on these other things. It's just going to sell itself. And 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 it may, but you'll this notion of building community, I believe, helps you build customers for a lifetime. And, you know, it's that repeat customer that I think is the real solid foundation of a lot of businesses. Yeah, 100%. Our, we wouldn't be here without our community. We call them the, our, the Finley Force. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how big is the business now? How many employees, for example? Uh, so I was, I was just I was listening to your podcast in the shower this morning. Uh, and the, uh, I was trying to count our, how many employees we have right now because we've actually uh, – we've had to hire on a few new people these last couple of weeks because we're seeing a surprisingly explosive growth in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so we've had to bring on a couple of extra hands. So we're up to 14 employees now. Very nice. Very nice. So approximately, uh, I'm not calibrated at all. How many hats uh, a month is that, that you're selling? And I'm not calibrated on that either. It kind of varies. Um, 
the if we were having like a large wholesale order to one of our manufacturers, it's in. I mean, it's they're in the tens of thousands, but the exact number I'm, I it. definitely don't know the exact amount. But it does it varies because some months we'll have heavy like wholesale hats where it's a, a bigger amount. Other months we'll have heavy like higher detail custom stuff where we do like one of one. So it it kind of varies. But I mean, we're we're getting you know hundreds out a day. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, that's a and and that's a very nice uh, very nice business. And and how do you see what do you see in the next couple of years for Findlay Hats? Oh, um, you know it's 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 so, such interesting times right now because uh, you know we're we're talking uh, I don't know if we can date it or not but it, you know middle of May 2020 and back you know two months ago in March uh, we it was so uncertain we we got, we took out a loan because we expected sales to plummet and you know needing the loan to stay afloat and stay in business. And uh, that just hasn't been the case. Like I said, we're seeing some pretty surprising growth in the middle of, of this pandemic. And uh, because it's like we have no idea if this will last for another week, another month, two months, a year, we don't know what this current trajectory we're on will look like. So as far as what we're hoping for, we're just we're just holding on. We're just trying to, uh, you know, save what we can have a have a security in, in case things do really, really start to drop off for businesses like us in the future. Um, but at the same time, we're, uh, we're seeing such explosive growth that we haven't seen in years. Uh, I mentioned so- social media advertising a little bit earlier. Um, we've seen growth like this before, right when we first started like more strategically advertising. And we, we couldn't keep up with our demand at the time. This was in 2017 when we upgraded from the garage with four people to a warehouse with eight people. Um, so uh, we saw explosive growth at the time, but I was afraid to add fuel to the fire and take full advantage of it because we couldn't keep up because I wanted to make sure we had all of our systems perfect and you know good to go before we started to scale. And what happened was when we finally got everything caught up and I wanted to uh, you know add more fuel to the fire and, and keep growing, it just stopped. The funnels stopped working. We, we saw a major drop in sales and uh, it actually ended up being a pretty difficult ordeal because of the situation we kind of were in uh, due to drop of sales, but being prepped for scaling and kind of over-prepared. Um, so I don't want to make that same mistake again, which is why we're, we're faster to make the hires. We're faster to make the uh, infrastructure improvements. We're faster to take advantage of the uh, situation while we still can, because right now the results are as good as they'll probably ever be uh, when it comes to social media advertising and bringing in new customers into your sales funnel and into your community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that, it, it made me think, uh, reflect, reflect back a little bit. Uh, years ago, I, I was part owner of and ran a bicycle manufacturing business, a very high-end nice. custom boutique bicycle manufacturing business. And uh, I got into it. I knew nothing about manufacturing bicycles, uh, but through a couple different connections, it, it, it just kind of happened. And one of the things I figured out was yes indeed we sold really high performance bicycles but fundamentally what we sold was something that made people feel good and i think your hats are very similar to that right when people buy something like this they buy it they put it on they feel good about it and i and i think oftentimes when when maybe you know we're going through a covid crisis like we are now people want to feel good right and and it, 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 it may be counterintuitive but i i can often see how for some of these types of products, feel-good products, sales will actually increase because it's giving pleasure to people. It's making people happy. It's making people feel good. And uh, so that's wonderful for you guys. 
Yeah, uh, I agree with you 100 percent there. The uh, the normalcy, you know, people want uh, what's normal. And uh, I listened to an interesting podcast with someone from uh, Clavio, Clavio, the email. Uh, um, I don't know the email provider. We we, we use them, um, and they're great. Highly recommended for anyone looking for email funnels and sales flows and all that good stuff. But um, he made a really good point that uh, it's like the hierarchy of needs and um, like where people on what they're what they need to survive and uh once it comes down to creature comfort that's kind of the stage that we're in and that's why you know people are grasping towards what's comfortable they're grasping for that little piece of normalcy they're they um they want something that makes them feel good like you said and you know i think our our hats are definitely fitting filling that void right now and we're lucky to be in that situation where we uh can do that we're lucky to be in a situation where our, our states stayed open for warehouse uh production jobs like us um, and we're also lucky that we've, we've also tried to take other opportunities with this too. We've been making, uh, medical face shields, uh, for local hospital or for regional hospitals. And that's just been another cool little, little piece that's been able to keep us afloat through this as well. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So if you reflect back, uh, you know, from day one of, of starting Findlay, um, what was the most surprise, what's been the most surprising thing to you that that has happened? The most unexpected thing I should say. Uh, let's see. Unexpected. I, I, the first thing that came to mind is just how difficult it is to lead and manage a team. Uh, you know, when I started this as a side project, just to sell some hats and make some money on the side, I, I didn't really think about that. I'd have to improve as a leader, um, especially as a two person operation. There's a lot of interesting dynamics that anyone that manages or leads a team will, I feel like can attest to that. It's, it's, Definitely uh, just an interesting, surprising challenge that I'm up for, and I'm, I'm honored and happy to do it. And I, I try to you know, lead by example and, and be a good influence and, and person for my team. But uh, I think the most surprising part is that in order to sell a hat with a lace on it, you have to like manage a team and <laughs> deal with HR pr- problems and hiring, firing, all that stuff. So um, that's, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's the first answer that came to mind. Um, there's been p- plenty of other little surprising speed bumps along the way. Um, I guess another positive end too would just be how, uh, beneficial, uh, strategic advertising can be. And I feel like anyone that's not, uh, that d- is in our space or is in e-commerce and is not, does not consider themselves to be a social media advertising expert, um, that they are just crippling their potential for growth. Um, social media advertising when done right, from my experience, uh, has been an extremely surprisingly positive major impact on our brand. Um, so I think for years I knew it existed. I mean, everyone sees Facebook ads, everyone sees that on their feed all day. Um, but it was surprising to see it in practice actually working to scale a business. Yeah, uh, those are right two answers. Yeah, that. so uh, with respect to that social advertising, uh, did you hire someone to do that? How how did you develop the skills and the background to execute on that? So 2017, uh, we were seeing a down year for the first year ever. Up until that point, we had doubled every year in size, and uh, we were just seeing a down year. I was like, okay, like something has to change, and. Uh, I forget what originally got it in motion, but I, I just came to the conclusion I needed to understand Facebook advertising better. And when I say Facebook advertising, I mean, you know, through Facebook ads, all of their networks. So uh, their audience networks, Instagram and Facebook. Um, so I just looked up online a couple courses through Udemy 
And I think I took two different like 10 hour, I forget, pretty long courses through Udemy. They're like 15 bucks a piece. Um, and they were, I think I got them on sale, but I mean, you can always get stuff on Udemy for sale. And they're like Facebook mastery courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took those two things and then I kind of skimmed through the Facebook blueprint course online as well. Um, and then just kind of hit the ground running. I had a pretty simple strategy for, for bringing in new customers, uh, advertising a simple video that explains who we are, what we're all about in a minute or less to an audience of people that are similar to our customers that don't already follow us. Uh, we had a good offer. We had strong creative. We had a good landing page to convert them. And, uh, you know, with that little simple recipe, um, we were able to, I think for the first month we saw like a 10 or 15 return on ad spend, uh, like 10, 15 X return on ad spend, which is insane. And, and now, I, I mean, yeah, that's just really good. <laughs> I miss those days, but, um, yeah, the, uh, that's, I guess how I initially started. I just, I took courses online. I, I dedicated about a week of my full focus and energy just on taking these courses, taking notes, screenshotting stuff, experimenting. And then I just hit the ground running with, uh, these new, tactics yeah and then so started it with with them and then um i ran it myself for a while until it got to the point where i couldn't really keep up with it and uh so i started i forget the exact order when we started working with people but uh to keep it simple uh we've worked with three different agencies varying from 700 dollars a month up to 4500 dollars a month and no agency has ever been able to do better than uh, myself with our advertising. And that has never shined more than this year in particular. Uh, last year, we, we were running with a, an advertising agency that uh, was really expensive and really well organized. And they made really good help just make good content. And they were, you know, had all the bells and whistles. And they were just excited to have, or they were not excited, but they were okay with us having a 1.4 return on our advertising across the board. Right, right. And that's like our break-even like return. That's not, we're not making money on that. We can't really scale that. And we were spending a lot with them and it was just, it was rough. It wasn't working out well. So we dropped them late last year. We changed our strategy and now like uh, our return is like at least two and a half to three and a half. And on average, I want to say it's around low threes for our full account, um, which is at scale completely I'm super happy with where that's at. And that's with just me at the uh, controls of that right now. Uh, at the trade-off of, you know, I spend a considerable amount of time in our ad manager dealing with it every day. Um, I know some people are, are not going to be impressed by a 2.5 or 3 or 3.5 return, but in the apparel accessory space for headwear, like that's, I'm completely happy with it. Yeah. We're able to grow, we're able to maintain that. So um, I stand by those numbers. Uh, we do work with uh, one company for uh, retargeting. Um, and that's Shoelace Technologies. They're an app within Shopify, and we've used them pretty much often. We've used them twice now. Uh, we only time we did stop working with them is when we did the, the large company that did everything in-house. Um, but they handle retargeting, and they consistently do a really good job for retargeting, and um, highly recommend them for retargeting. But I handle all of our prospecting, all of our new products, all of our engagement, all of our video view, um, and uh, I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, interesting to kind of come up with a concept for something creative, think you understand your audience, think you understand how it's going to you know, be played out, and then it's cool to see those results trickle in and, and uh, succeed and do, you know, bring in sales. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you, when you start a business, and I think you said in the beginning there was, there was two of you, uh, and as the business grows, 
you have to let go of things. You have to you have to delegate things and let other people do them. And we just kind of went through an example where you took some of that, you hired an agency to do some things, and it uh, didn't work out as well as you wanted, and you brought it back in house, and and you're doing it. But how do you go through that process, or or how? Let me ask it a different way. How challenging was it for you to sort of let go of stuff and sort of let other people do various different aspects of what you were doing when it was just two of you? Um, I think different people may have different answers to that within Finley. <laughs> um, the, uh, there's some things that are more difficult to hand off than others. Um, like for example, customer service that or customer service was one that I would spend one to three hours a day, every day for years dealing with. Uh, so, you know, it, figuring out order problems with orders or uh, warranty stuff or anything like that. So passing that off was a major stress reliever because like it would give me anxiety every single time I had to open our customer service app and go through all these emails and it would just, it would be a, a negative highlight of my day. Uh, and it was just, it, it wasn't enjoyable. I was happy to fix the problem and we have, you know, really strong customer service. It's not like, you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, upset people all day. Um, but it's still, it was, it was, you know, it's my baby and it was just really tough to, to see issues and, and have to constantly do that every single day. Um, so that one wasn't too difficult to hand off. And we have two really great customer service, uh, agents, uh, on our team that are just awesome and super helpful there. And, uh, I really trust them. So that was one that was extremely easy to give off and, and, and pass off. Um, but talk about uh, engaging with the customers, how that's a big piece of it. That was a little bit more difficult to pass off because, you know, being front-facing representative of the brand, like that has more or less been my voice for years. Um, so passing that off to other people to kind of represent the brand, represent uh, how we handle things, how, who we are, um, you know, the brand identity more or less uh, – has that was a little bit more challenging uh, to pass off, and uh, the other thing too is uh, photo and video stuff. Uh, passing that stuff off is another big challenge. So it just it varies from task to task. If you ask our old uh, uh, employee who did uh, like marketing for us, who helped with videos and and uh, some social media stuff, um, I imagine she would say I was, I was a little over controlling and had too, too strong of a creative vision on things, and maybe limited her creative vision or her creative freedom. Uh, but then you talk to other people and I might be a little bit more forgiving or more, uh, maybe not forgiving, but more open to change and bringing other people on. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, finding that balance is challenging. It's always challenging. And the balance is different for different people. So, you know, that makes it even even more complicated because uh, the way you delegate something to one person may not be exactly the same way you can delegate it and, and give the de- the level of delegation to another person. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So as the manager, that makes it really challenging. So uh, as, as the founder of this business, um, when you go to hire somebody, what tips would you give people for, for when they think about hiring someone with, into the organization? The, I, I feel like I'm not the, the best source of hiring because I've, I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'm the the best source for that. I, I've hired from groups of friends and friends referrals almost entirely. Uh, you know, we've never gone through Monster. We've never gone through uh, Craigslist or anything. So pretty much everyone here is a referral through a friend or a referral through someone who already works here. Uh, so I know that's that's not a standard way of hiring, um, but that's what's worked for us. And at least for our community or our company culture, and vibe it, it 
it's worked pretty well. We're, we're um, you know, we have a pretty friendly, chill work environment where everyone gets along pretty well. And, uh, it's, it's a pretty laid back, chill, good spot. And I think a part of it is because it's kind of been networked through friends of friends and, uh, you know, that side of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, don't, uh, don't sell that method short there. Cause I, I actually think that the notion of, uh, referrals from, from within your own employees, so to speak, right? The, the employees are, have a vested interest in things going well. So they're going to bring in people that they believe can do a good job and have confidence. And, and, and to me, that's much more of a strong statement than anything it says on a resume or anything you can get out of a, you know, two or three hour interview. So I, I, I actually think from what you're, what you're, way you're describing that is it's, it's a superb way of, of uh, moving forward on that kind of stuff. And I just feel a lot better about that now. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to run with that. You're right. That was that was the intention from the beginning. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely working. It's totally working. And yeah. granted, you know, we've had a few situations that didn't work out. We have had to let people go. We have had drama and problems. But I mean, at large, it, it we have seen you know success and and currently have uh, you know a really strong good work environment with a good team of of hardworking. Sure. Uh, people that I'm, I'm honored to be working with and, and uh, happy to have them here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you were uh, introduced to a, a you know, uh, early 20-year-old person who's thinking about starting a business, uh, what are kind of uh, Jimmy's three hot tips that you would give them uh, to, uh, to, uh, to help them motivate them or to help them to say, don't do the business or whatever your advice is? What, <laughs> what, what, would, okay. what would you tell them? First, you just got to do it. Like we kind of touched on earlier, you absolutely like if you have an idea, the most important thing is just to get it out there into the world and fix it and improve it and make it better as you go. Uh, don't wait and sit around for the perfect day. You have to just get it out there and do it. Uh, two, uh, you have to uh, learn from your mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. I make mistakes every day. And uh, if you're not learning from it, it's it's making you worse. If you're learning from it, you're improving every day. So uh, learn from your mistakes. That's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason because it's true from my experience that, you know, the mistakes are just, if you, if you dwell on them from, for being negative, you're not going to get anything out of it. But if you just try to learn the lesson, uh, you'll improve next time and hopefully not make that same mistake again. You'll be a stronger person. Uh, three, um, I think you have to love what you do. Uh, and I love the, I love creating. Uh, we kind of touched on that earlier, come from the photo background. Um, but, you know, a business is like the ultimate form of creating. Uh, we're taking something that doesn't exist, be it a, a hat concept, a, a design, a colorway, uh, whatever. We're taking something that doesn't exist and bring it into the real world. And then, you know, providing that physical, tangible good to another person. And then we're promoting that person to go out there and have a good time wearing that. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a cool, I love the creation process end to end. I love the production that we do. I love the, uh, I just, I love creating end to end and, um, I love what I do and it feels really good to wake up every day and come into work and see that, you know, this little company that started from, uh, $1,400 and a little plastic box of hats, uh, to where we are today with a, you know, 5,500 square foot warehouse and a bunch of big machines and laser cutters and 3d printers and, you know, all this cool stuff that I, I, I geek out. I love the machines that we have here and I love watching our stuff run and, and building that stuff. Uh, you know, I, I absolutely love that stuff. And, uh, on, at the same time, like 
I kind of touched on earlier, I have dedicated my 20s to this. Like, I'm balding a little bit. I'm 28 years old, and there's some balding back there. And <laughs> it's like, I, uh, you know, it's, it's, I definitely didn't have a fun 20, whatever, I think 22 that I started it, right? Yeah, ish. And, uh, 21. I don't know. I, I didn't do that much stuff in my twenties. I spent a lot of time working 80, hundred hour work weeks, building Finley dedicated every single day to this company. I've not taken one day off this entire time. Like, you know, there's been days where I've done less emails and less social media, you know, checking than others. And I've obviously left the warehouse and gone places and done things, but it's been a, a long bumpy road and I've totally missed out on life experiences. I haven't gone to friends, weddings. I haven't gone to things because I've had other engagements that I had to do. Or I've had work stuff that I wasn't able to leave. There's been so many sacrifices involved in this. And any, any business owner can attest to that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't stand out because of that aspect of it. But what, what, you know, makes it all worthwhile is the fact that I love it. I enjoy what I do here. I enjoy coming to work every day and it makes those long hours and sacrifices worth it. And I, I'm building something I'm proud of. I'm building something that uh, I hope will be around for a long time. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't change any of that for the world. So do, you know, find something you love and run with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great advice. You know, when, when you're doing something that you love, then, uh, doing those 80, 100 hour weeks, uh, doesn't feel all that bad. Absolutely. You know, uh, so, uh, Jimmy, if uh, if someone listening to this podcast uh, wants to uh, check out Findlay Hats, uh, where do they go? So our website is findlayhats.com. That's F-I-N-D-L-A-Y-H-A-T-S.com. Uh, same on social media, at Finley Hats, on Facebook and Instagram. Those are our two main hubs of social media in. And then if anyone has any general questions or uh, wants an explanation or me to dive in on anything we went over today or has just anything at all, feel free to email me at any time. I'm always happy to answer any questions um, that you may have out there. You know, like I said, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes and I'm still learning as I go. I'm in no way an expert in a lot of areas, but I can share my experience that has worked for us and got us to where we are today. And uh, I try to be as transparent and open as I can to help anyone that is uh, interested in the learning. And my email is jimmy at finleyhats.com. That's great. And I will make sure all of this uh, contact information is in our show notes. Uh, Jimmy, you've been a wonderful guest. Uh, you've shared some great insights uh, with our listeners, and I really appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, make yourself a great week. Thanks. Well, Bela, that was a great interview. I mean, what an interesting guy. Lots of energy. Great story, right? Um, I thought it was a cool example of opportunity recognition, as you said in the intro, um, literally building a cool business around a commodity from the ground up with just some, you know, the innovations that he made, they weren't really expensive and it's not something that's earth shattering, but they're practical, they're useful, and they help him stand out in a really crowded market. Um, he built a small local brand and there was a great uh, quote in there when he talked about, well, we wanted to be this local brand, but we also had a growth plan. We wanted to grow bigger than our local brand, but it was neat how he started with this local flavor and then had this really cool kind of growth plan to export this all over the country and all over the world. Uh, and it really was kind of through word of mouth, through personal selling, um, use social media really well. Um, but I, I thought it was really great. So 
Um, from your standpoint, maybe put your VC hat on, Bela, as I ask, often ask you to do. Um, how do you evaluate a company like this? So, you know, it's run by an amazing entrepreneur. It's got great branding, but it's really a pretty easy to imitate product. Well, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the lessons that I learned in the VC business is more often than not, the entrepreneur is more important than the product or the company. And I think this is an example of that from a v VC perspective, right? The chances of, of the VC firm I was part of investing in a company that makes hats is probably pretty low. Uh, and that's just because of the economics of the VC business. Uh, given, given the way VC works is you, you have to be able to invest in companies you have to make a two or three or four million dollar investment in a company and buy twenty percent of it, with the hopes that you can sell that business for a hundred million dollars. I'm not sure uh, there's been any hat companies in the last uh, fifteen years that have sold for a hundred million dollars. So chances are, from that perspective, uh, one would not invest in it. However, Jimmy is amazing, right? You can just feel the energy. You can feel his creativity. And he's whatever he hitches his uh, his wagon to, he's going to make a success. So I would certainly bet on him. And uh, you know this notion of of identifying opportunities and then actually doing something about it, and then the notion of understanding how to build a community. And as you stated, both in the B two B world and in the B two C world, uh, that's business to business and business to consumer. Uh, worlds. Uh, that is really important. And in today's uh, digital economy, most companies have, have to reach out to those both, both of those worlds because they're, they're great market opportunities. And Jimmy understands how to do that. He understands how to do that using social and leveraging social. He understands how to leverage community, build community up around it. Uh, and you know, again, community is a great driver of product sales. And uh, so I would certainly bet on him. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be a great entrepreneur. And I think one of these days we're going to look back on this episode and say, hey, we talked to Jimmy back when he was running his hat business. <laughs> and, and because he's going to he's going to his name's going to pop up again is my prediction. Yeah, I'd buy anything from this guy. Right. <laughs> he could make me excited about cardboard. Right. <laughs> or old socks, you know. I mean, it's neat. He just had this really cool attitude, I think, and energy. And um, yeah, it was great. So yeah, I really do think that that you're right. And it, I think it should be a great example to everybody that you don't need to inve invent something in medical products, or you don't need to invent some sort of amazing digital business model, or you don't need to invent 5G wireless technologies to be successful that you could take something simple make it better in some simple ways just by thinking about problems that people have and making their life better that you know you're on the boat and you're the wind's blowing and you need the hat not to blow off and right the idea of putting a pocket in these things right i mean how many times like oh yeah so it's just looking around and making something better and you have to make a better mousetrap or a better widget but it doesn't need to be high tech and then the key is connecting with your customers and there's lots of different ways to do that. This isn't the only way, the way what Jimmy did. It's a great way, right? But you got to find a way to connect with your customers. And off you go, right? He's leveraged the internet in great ways, um, but he's not defined by the internet, I think, which is kind of cool. Yeah, well said, Mike. You know, we've had several entrepreneurs on the show in the past 
that have have taken, um, as you said, not high tech ideas, right? Not super great inventions, but have fundamentally uh, taken fundamental uh, businesses, uh, tweaked them in a little way, either from a you know providing better customer service, uh, providing a better way to engage with the customer. Um, modifying the product slightly, maybe to put a little twist on it. And uh, they've all been successful. So I think it's a really important point for people to realize, you know, you, you, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to invent a new operating system or some new technology uh, to in order to build a successful business. There are lots and lots of opportunities around us every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can be successful at it. And I think this is a, a great example of that. Yeah. One of the connections that he didn't make directly, but it struck me, is he's a photographer, right? And that was kind of where he started. And to me, when you're looking at the world and looking at the world around you in, with clear eyes and saying, what am I seeing? It's things that you might look at every day and you're trying to see the angles and the light and the color and the shapes. And you're trying to see them in a way to capture them. And I wonder, maybe I'm reading way too much into this, Bela, and maybe I've put too much sugar in my coffee this morning, right? But to me, it's like, okay, when you look at the world, kind of trying to look at it through new ways and new eyes every day and kind of framing the photo that you're looking at in the world around you, maybe sometimes you see things a little different. And maybe the baseball hat that you're wearing, right, isn't just a baseball hat. And you can see it in some different ways. And maybe that's too cheesy. Okay, but I kind of think thinking like a photographer and it's like, all right, what am I looking at today? What am I looking at right now? What am I looking at when I sit in my office and I sit at my desk uh, and how can I make it better? Um, and so I wonder if you kind of people kind of take that attitude. So let me look at this like I'm taking a photo and I'm framing the photo and what's missing. Yeah. And if you can figure out what's missing that would make the picture complete or make your life better, that's an opportunity. Right. That's a way to take make a simple change. Uh, and what you're dealing with to, to, to make it better. Now, whether it's putting a pencil holder on the side of your coffee cup, or it's uh, making a place to put sticky notes on the side of your keyboard, or something like that, right? Is, okay, let me look at this with fresh eyes, and how can I make it better in a simple way? Yeah, I, I really like the way you said that, Mike. You know, because uh, I'm a firm believer, uh, one of the key elements of being a successful entrepreneur is opportunity recognition. And a big element of opportunity recognition is observing, is observing people's behavior, is observing, you know, various different situations. And and you're linking this to uh, uh, the eye of a photographer is interesting, right? Because a photographer can take something that, you know, 4 million people have already looked at, but take that picture in a certain way. <laughs> that is different than all 4 million of those other individuals who looked at it. Um, and that's exactly what's going on here, right? The ability to take something and look at it uh, differently uh, through a different lens, I guess, so to speak, and, uh, and, and then do something with it. And I think, uh, you know, this opportunity recognition and observation is a real key important, that's an important element of entrepreneurship. And I'm really glad you brought that up, Mike. Thanks, Bela. There wasn't too much sugar in the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a really important lesson that one of my good friends who's a really good photographer taught me because I would take pictures while I was walking down the street and I wouldn't stop. And he's like, you know, your pictures are going to come out way better if you stop, plant your feet, right? And really look at what you're taking a picture of. 
and really look and see, even though you've walked by this way a thousand times and you've seen this building or this tree or this flower a hundred times, stop, Put your, plant your feet and really look at it and, and get it framed up and get the angles right and make sure the light is right and you'll see it in a new way. And we, you know, we can write a book about this. We can use this photography as an allegory for opportunity recognition, you know? Never mind. That's a horrible idea. Okay. <laughs> well, no. What do you think? Should we wrap this up before I get completely out of control? Yeah. Let's wrap it up, Mike. I think this was good. I really enjoyed uh, my conversation with Jimmy. Yeah. Cool. And some really cool takeaways, right? It's uh, obviously um, everywhere around you is opportunities, even commodity products. Uh, building a great community is huge. Building that community through one-on-one -on -one conversations and meaningful interactions, not just posting a snap on, on Instagram. Um, is really important. And then leveraging your network and this, this, his tribe, as he calls it, right? On the, both the B2B side and the B2C side whenever possible. I think those are great takeaways from, from today. Yeah, I agree, Mike. All right. Well, listeners, uh, we've done it again. Thanks for joining us this week. I hope you found the last 45 minutes or so interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, and if you have questions about what Bela and I discussed or what Jimmy brought up today, suggestions about topics in the future or some potential guests, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, you can find it in all of your podcasting apps and just hit subscribe. It's free. Uh, we have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Thanks, Bela. You too, from over here in Münster, Germany. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>